I read a story of a guy who uh, went to his friend's farm, and he noticed a bunch of these chickens were running around. I don't know much about chickens. Some of you guys live in the city limits and have 12, but uh, that's wrong. That's all I'm saying. Uh, that's not what I'm trying to say. But these chickens were running around, and uh, and he noticed that these some of these chickens were missing feathers, and then some of them have like open sores on their skin. And he asked the farmer, he said, like, what's going on there? And the the farmer casually just responded, like, they like to peck at each other. And that was it. I was like, okay. And uh, this guy goes on to say, like, that, that's often Christians, that we're running around missing feathers and open sores on our skin because why? We like to peck at each other. We love to find fault and criticize and complain and self-righteously judge. The author goes on to say, in fact... Anyone who has served in a church has encountered petty complainers and fault-finding critics who act more like pecking chickens than spirit-filled believers. And so this isn't a broad slope of condemnation on all of us. I want you to be open to receive what James is saying. In James 4, look at it again with me. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> James 4:11. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Up to this point in chapter 4, James has called us adulterers. If we're worshiping anything other than God. So in our idolatry, this is spiritual adultery. If we've adopted the world's values, the world's system, we're adulterers. He then called us to resist the devil, knowing that the devil will flee. Then he called us to repent of sin, to turn from our unbelief, our idolatry, our, our sinful behavior. And he clearly and powerfully called us to submit to God, to humble ourselves before God. And what was the promise there? God will exalt us. That's where we left last week. And then here, he comes back around to our conflicts, another aspect of our conflicts. And so we took James 4, broke it down really smallly because we, uh, we need to grow in how we fight one another, how we conflict with one another. We need to do this. We can continue. So this is, this is good and right for us uh, in this moment as a church that we grow in this. He says, brothers and sisters, don't criticize one another. Now, some of you guys are like, I love constructive criticism. Okay, hold on. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. But criticize here in this verse literally means speak against, to speak against a brother, or a sister. That includes all kinds of harmful language, harmful communication. And so, more specifically, James is forbidding any kind of slanderous or degrading talk, including, including derogatory remarks, slanderous, degrading talk, false criticism, defamation of character, putting others down, false accusations. So it's this one little word that means a lot unpacks a lot of what this looks like. And you say, no, 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 don't criticize one another. Now, not all criticism or judging is wrong. 
There is a time to confront and rebuke. I'll get to that later. But slanderous criticism and harsh judgments, hypocritical judgments and self-righteous rebukes are sinful and extremely divisive. They tear friendships apart. They pull at the seams of a church community. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5.15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. The warning is a whole church can be gobbled up by judgmental attitudes and personal attacks. A whole church can be consumed on this. If we back up a little bit, this is what he does say. What is this to look like? Chapter 5, verse 13 of Galatians, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul and James are quoting the law. To be clear, the law isn't arbitrary rules made up by a police officer God way distant from us that doesn't really care but just wants some things in your life that you have to kind of follow and kind of push you down and break your back. That's not what the law is. The law communicates God's character. The law gives the path to genuine human flourishing. And so what are they quoting? It's Leviticus 19. In Leviticus 19, God declares in verse 2, Be holy because I... The Lord your God and holy. That's what I said, right? It communicates God's character. That's what the law does. Go down to verse 16. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. That's James 4.11. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now think about the author, the human author of Leviticus. Think about Moses. Moses, Moses knew from real experience how badly the Israelites needed to obey this instruction. In all his hard work, in all his leadership, they found fault with him. They slandered his motives. They harshly criticized his leadership ability. They pecked away at him until he wanted to die. And that's not exaggeration. His prayer in Numbers 11 is this. I can't carry all these people by myself, God. They're too much for me. If you're going to treat me like this, please kill me right now. If I have found favor with you. Like, if you really love me and care for me, take my life. I can't, I can't handle this. I can't keep dealing with all this petty complaining, harsh criticism, judgmental attitudes, fighting, uh, cutting me down, sarcastic remarks. Can't. Don't let me see my misery anymore. Now, this isn't just a, a congregation to, to, to pastor thing, a leadership thing. It's, it's, it's all of us, right? Like, we can all peck at one another. But I have talked to Many pastors recently that, have, that feel kind of similar to Moses over this past year and a half, over the divisive rhetoric around politics and race and mask and vaccinations. Family, I'll just say this. You are free to disagree 
but don't use your freedom to cut down or slander. Use your freedom to love one another in the midst of your differences, in the midst of them. You're free. You're free to say no to that like, self-righteous attitude that thinks you're always in the right and you can always find someone to look down on and you want to express that to them frequently. You're free to say no to that. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You have a new heart. You can say no to it. You can say no to it. John Blanchard, uh, an evangelist, he says, there's a shameful amount of slander that goes on within our Christian organizations today, and the result is always marred relationship. Now, this makes what James is saying here a lot of sense, especially in this context. Because in the context is resist the devil and he will flee. Slander is the devil's work. Slander is the devil's work. The devil literally means, that, that title literally means accuser or slanderer. So I, I said a ways back about some demonic stuff. This is demonic. Slandering one another. Harsh, judgmental criticisms. Putting one another. This is uh, energized by the devil. This is his desire for us to uh, crush one another, to devour one another, to uh, ruin this family. The devil incessantly accuses God's people and he wants us to join him. He knows that if you're in Christ, he can't take that from you. He can't take that from you. But what he can try to do is try to rec recruit you to his side in the midst of being in this family. To accuse one another, slander one another. The devil loves to stir up conflict. And so you've got the big three all happening here. The devil, our sinful desires, and the world's value systems. Because the devil loves to stir up conflict. And then where does conflict come from? Well, James 4.1 says that doesn't the conflict... In uh, our relation, our quarrels, our fights come from the desires within us. And so he's talking about uh, conflicts. The origin is our evil desires and our inordinate desires. Inordinate desires are desires that, that were good desires, but we made them demands, and so they've become inordinate. That's where our conflict stirs from. And then, uh, in talking about the friendship of the world, to be a friend of the world, the world system, not like your neighbor, uh, to be a friend of the world, the world's values, is to be in enmity against God, to be in, in this fight with God. And so you get all three. I mean, if you think about following the world's value systems right now, it looks like polarization over every topic. It looks like radical autonomy that no one can say anything about me. I can do whatever I want. And my, the whole purpose of my life is for me to be happy so that all this adds fuel to the fire. But the Holy Spirit of God doesn't lead us to speak evil of others or be harsh critics or self-righteous fault finders. The Holy Spirit leads us to submit our desires to God, to resist the devil, and to turn away from the world's values. The Holy Spirit, not only that, leads us to outdo one another in showing honor to each other. 
I heard Ray Ortland say one time, I've never seen anyone too encouraged. I was like, oh, yeah. Me neither. Yeah, that's a, that's a good statement. Me neither. I've never seen anyone just like, oh, man, just, just woo, I'm good. I'm like, man, you, you look good. Like, no, I don't, I don't comment on my jacket. Good. I don't need any more encouragement. It's brimming over me. It's just too much. I never met anyone like that. I agree with him. But I've met with many people who are heavily discouraged. Who grew up in homes or are in relationships where criticism is the air they breathe. They're beaten down, heartbroken over slander and harsh judgment. The snide remarks and sarcastic put-downs. I mean, I know a man who's very handy and has been almost all his life always working on something but when he was growing up and he was doing the job well let's think about fixing a, a car or a truck he's doing a good job but every time his dad would come around him look over his shoulder and just point out the one thing that he's doing wrong or he's not even doing anything wrong his father just felt the compulsion to always tell him I would be doing it this way why would you come at it that way? I know a woman whose dad can walk into her house and not talk about anything except what's wrong in the house. Not communicate anything else. Not Just be quiet. Unless it's critiquing something. I know myself how I can criticize my wife and how she's doing something. Like I am good at cultivating a culture of criticism in my house. So my question for myself and for us is, do you want a culture of criticism or encouragement in your house? And do you want a culture of criticism or encouragement in this church? That's what James is getting at. We are to be families of families, so this big family where the air we breathe is encouraging and honoring one another. So I'm going to honor Justin for your obedience to open up to what the Lord was doing in you and to come forward and obey and to speak what he showed you. I'm going to honor Pastor Rick and his sweet wife, Lynette, for so many things, but in the immediate, for letting us five break stuff in your house and live with you right now. Thank you. I honor Dan. known you for 12, 13 years, and I've just seen the Lord continue to grow you in your, in your humility to have a lot of experience and understanding and uh, pastoring and being a missionary and you're still humbly wanting to grow and be more like Christ. Honor Brett for how much you serve and care and think about the safety of this building and our people. How much you want you just have that spirit of a godly warrior that wants to protect the family.
honor you, Natalie, for willing to open up your home in all different types of seasons and just have people pop in when there's a, meet, a major need and watch kids. Allie, John as well, just willing to see the families that are in need and need some, maybe some crisis counseling or just some immediate help. And you say, yes, bring your kids over, drop them off. If you guys need to go do something, you need to talk to someone, do it. We're going to serve you. I honor you, Ariel, for being uh, a teenage worship leader at our church. For for not delaying using your gifts until you have some semblance of like adulthood or my you know I have all this like path played out like you've been serving the Lord and His church for years, and I'm proud of you for how you care uh, to do that in in excellence and joy and to to worship God. I think one of the greatest things about our worship team is that they don't lead by performance, but they lead out of worship. They want to do things well, but they're not thinking about how am I performing greatly? They're thinking about, I want to worship Jesus and I want others to as well. I want to honor Andrew and Kayla, for your, your picking up the call to care for those in the foster system, to be relatively young, and again, not wait to like, oh, until we have our three kids and they're out of the house and we're empty nesters, then we'll foster. Like, now we'll step now and we'll care. This is, this is the air I want us to breathe. And I'll do it just as an example. I do it because it's good and right and true. Now, if we follow James' argument here, what we really see if we connect the dots or meditate on it, criticism comes from exalting ourselves. Criticizing others comes from us exalting ourselves, where we put ourselves on some platform, look down at others, judge their motives, see them as less than us, focus on their sin, all the while we're blind to ours. Do you know what that is? Modern-day Pharisees. That's what that is. The Pharisees were experts at finding faults in others but minimizing or ignoring their own sin. So criticism and slander isn't just judging others. What James presses further into, it's also judging the law. He says, if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And so this, this criticism that, that he's speaking of, of a fellow believer, contradicts the command that we are to love our neighbors. And he's saying, if we fail to keep the law, when we slander and, and, and stand in judgment over others, then when we fail, we're also judging the law. When we fail to keep the law, we're judging the law. So failure to do the law implies a denial of the law's authority. We can say we have a high view of God's word. We can say we have a high view of scripture. We can say we have a high view of the law. But if we don't do what it says, we display, we don't put too much stock into it. That's what he's getting at. 
criticism comes from exalting ourselves above others and above God's law. I'll just make this broader. Conflict. In your house, in your friendships, in our community group, in this church as a whole, comes from exalting ourselves. And what is James' answer to that? <laughs> Verse 12. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Conflict comes from us exalting ourselves, and what James is saying, you're not God. You're not the lawgiver. You're not the judge. You're not. You're a neighbor called by God to love the other person. And so this is nothing different than what he's been saying. It's just the practical implication of what he's been saying. Humble yourselves before God and live a life of humility. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is good news, even though it starts with confronting our arrogance. It confronts our self-exaltation. I mean, think about the gospel. It is the story of the exalted one, high and lifted up, the only one worthy, fully worthy, fully deserving of our praise and adoration. And what does he do? He humbled himself and came as a man. Humbled himself and became obedient. Humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on a cross. The judge became the guilty one. Not because of his sin, but because of ours. He humbled himself to pay the penalty for our arrogance and self-exaltation. Do you hear that? But if you're in Christ, if you put your faith in him, repented of your sin and believed in him, and he's given you a new heart and judge you righteous, that means he's gifted you his righteousness. And so how can we stand in self-righteous criticism when our righteousness on our own terms, uh, our own righteousness is tainted and corrupted? We've only been declared righteous because Jesus has taken our sinful clothing from us and put on his white, clean, righteous robe of his perfect obedience. Now, if you're not a Christian or and you're clear on that, or maybe you grew up in the church and you think you're a Christian because you've been around enough of it. The reality is that this stings, but it is good news. God calls you to humble yourself before him and put your faith in Jesus. The good news is in all of your self-exaltation and your demonic criticism of others, you are loved by God in Christ. And then he calls us to love others as we are loved by him. Jesus used his freedom not to exalt himself on earth, but to love you, his neighbor, by dying in your place. So the gospel, therefore, creates a a humble, joyful, loving community. A community who is more known for what we're for than what we're against. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I felt that. I felt that in planning this church. It's very easy in church planning to be like, 
What's your perspectives? Uh, uh, I don't want to be like that church. I don't want to do those things. I didn't really like it when I experienced it at this place. And you write it down. You're like, wait, everything I've written down is just, I don't want this. What do you do? What do you want? That's many of us in our own lives. Think about your own family or relationships. Well, what's the vision for your family, for your kids? I don't want to do this like my parents did to me. Okay, but what do you want to do? What are we going to be known for? I want us to be known for what we are for. I want us to be known that we're, we're for joy, and we're for honoring, and we're for encouragement, and we're for humility, and we're for love. I want us to be known for our commitment to God's word, known for our genuine community, known for our delight in the Trinity, known for our evangelism, known for orphan care and our partnership with Waverly Park Elementary, known for discipleship, known for church planting. Humble, joyful, loving. Think about that. What if those all qualified our actions? What if? Humble, joyful, loving service. Humble, joyful, loving care for one another. Humble, joyful, loving teaching. Humble, joyful, loving correction. Humble, joyful, loving rebuke. Which leads me to my last section. What judging is not. What criticism is not. What he's not saying is to gently correct and rebuke. Sometimes this verse and Jesus' words of judge not get ripped out of context and were used to say, no one can speak into my life, right? Like, we really loved Tupac when we were middle school, and so we got only God can judge me in old English on our stomach. That's how we think. That's how we operate. No one can speak into my life. Can't judge me. Well, that isn't true in light of the other commands to rebuke, confront, and gently, gently restore someone caught in sin. That's Matthew 18. That's just Galatians 6.1. So as we think about conflict in our church, in our families, in our relationships, in our community groups, we need to know there will be times to confront and rebuke. There will. So let me get practical on how to rebuke without being self-righteous and slanderous, right? These six points are from If We Bite and Devour One Another by Alexander Strzok. I'm just going to list them and kind of make a few comments on this, so I hope this helps as you think. How do I toe this line? Not being a harsh, critical, judgment, judgmental person in this family that bites and devours one another, but when when the Lord shows me something that I do need to come alongside my brother and sister and help them and correct them in, how will I do that? Because what can happen, and I've seen this in us, that when we, can, we, we hear don't criticize one another, and so then what do we do? We never say anything to one another. And we then adopt the world system that says it's loving to just condone everything that that person's doing. Okay? So you can't, you can't, 
hear this and then say, okay, I'm never going to, to speak into another person's life. You, you've got to, but let's, let's try to get our minds wrapped around how do we do this wisely, with wise love towards one another. Number one, pray. All confrontation and rebuke needs to be washed in prayer. That means uh, if you're in the midst of the conflict, you may not be the time to rebuke. Just may not be the time, right? Like you haven't prayed about this all. You're just acting on how you're feeling, your emotions, you're heated a little bit, and you're like, oh yeah? Well, remember that thing you did two years ago? And you're like, whoa, what just happened? Right? We just pulled in a bunch of stuff from the past. I've been sitting on this stuff for, for two years, or it was really small, but now I'm going to make it a big thing because maybe I even want to distract from the current thing, or I just want to unload on you. Prayer gives you the space. And like, no, I'm going to step away and ask the Lord, what do I need to rebuke? What do I need to correct in this? What do I need to confront in this? So that means we go back to James 1 and we pray for wisdom. Why? Because we lack it. We lack it. We lack it. Very much so in interpersonal dynamics, we lack it. And then you can pray for the Lord to prepare the other person. That'd be a sweet gift to them. Before you go talk to them, you pray that the Lord will prepare them to hear this, to receive this, that'd be for their good. Number two, check your attitudes and motives. Like, why are you going to confront them? Why? Is it with the right attitude, the right reasons, because you're for them and you want them to know Jesus more? Or is it because you want to pay them back for how they've hurt you? Or you want to win the argument? Paul in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, if you know 1 Corinthians, you know that he wrote some pretty specific comments to them, rebukes to them. 2 Corinthians 2, 4, he says, for I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, not to cause you pain, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. So Paul's criticism of the Corinthian church didn't come about him wanting to pay them back for what they've done to him. Because if you know that story, they did a lot to him. Bailed on him, started believing the rumors that he was like a fake apostle, possibly mocked his teaching and his presence in person. He doesn't come back to try to hurt them. He comes from a deep fatherly love for them. Number three, Speak gently. To be gentle is to be kind, tender, gracious, calm, which is not combative or harsh. This is how I fell around my house. One of the ways I fell around my house. It sounded like it's the only thing. This is one of the ways I fell around my house. Maybe I start with wanting to address something with uh, the right heart and even the right motive. But how I communicate it or how I want to see change in them is harsh, fear-based, coercive, shame and guilt. We are to confront with a spirit of gentleness, not wanting to win the argument, but wanting to win our brother or sister, wanting their maturity, Wanting this to be used by God. Strzok says, number four, balance 
criticism with words of encouragement. When there's a culture of honoring and encouraging, we honor God and also the person knows that we see them and love them and are for them. And so the rebuke isn't just another stab at their massive failings, but it's a helpful word for their soul. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, blame comes best on the back of praise. Now, I don't want you to use that to be like, I, th I think it's the, the business model of like, just a sandwich, right? Classic. You know, just, that's like bait and switch. It's like trickery, or I maybe call that manipulation. I'm like, hey man, you're, you're doing really good at your job. Uh, this is terrible, but also uh, I really like this. It's like, wait, what? I, I'm, I'm talking more about this whole culture and just kind of the environment of our relationships that'd be one of honoring and encouraging rather than uh, an air of critique and harsh judgment and just always pecking at one another over this was wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Look at this, look at this, look at this. And just beat people down. Number five, use scripture to instruct. Second Timothy tells us scripture is useful for reproof and correction. And using scripture, you know what it does? <laughs> it protects us from rebuking quirks or things that just annoy you. Like, oh, this is this little quirky thing about them, about their personality. I'm going to rebuke that. No. You have to actually go to the scripture and say, well, what, what is actually wrong here? What am I actually think that there's there? That I'm actually going to, to point at and say, I think, I think this is what's going on. This is what, my, what we, you are feeling. This is what the scriptures say. It means you confront sin, not things that are bothering your own idolatry or self-righteousness. I'll say it again. I've got no one on my side. This means that we confront sin, not the things that are interrupting our idolatry or are produced from our self-righteousness. As we meditate on Scripture, we're better able to rebuke with complete patience and kindness, like Titus says. You not only have the content of the rebuke, you also have the tone of the rebuke. With patience, with a heart like Jesus that is gentle and lowly, with a compassionate heart like Paul that, that it comes from this deep fatherly care, this brotherly, sisterly care for one another. Last one, welcome criticism. Humble and wise people understand they have blind spots and they may be wrong. So they welcome rebuke. Welcome constructive criticism. Proverbs 9, 8 puts it this way. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Instruct the wise and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and he will learn more. But most of us don't take criticism that well, right? In our arrogance and self-righteousness, we are defensive and overly sensitive. But... If we refuse rebuke, we are short-circuiting our sanctification, our growth. 
we're short-circuiting our growth into the image of Jesus because God's family is built to mutually disciple and encourage and teach and rebuke one another. That's how we're built up more and more into the image of Jesus. Is this happening all the time between one another? And so you're free. Let me go back to Galatians 5. You're free by God's grace to lay down your self-righteousness knowing you've been gifted Jesus' righteousness. So you can be wrong. And you can be in sin. And you can be thinking incorrectly about something. You're free to receive rebuke because it doesn't attack your identity in Christ. That is certain. If you're walking in the belief that Jesus has gifted you his righteousness, then you can be open and honest and humble about your sin and brokenness and failings and your thinking wrongly about stuff. Or to think about it again at the royal law, in regards to the royal law, if you're going to give rebuke, how would you want to hear it? How would you want to hear the rebuke to you? And then turn it, and that's how you speak it to others, how you come alongside others. Criticism and conflict comes from exalting ourselves above others and above God's law. But honoring and peaceful Community comes from humbling ourselves before God. Verse 7, submit to God. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. Chapter 1, be a hearer and doer. Not a hearer and judger. This means we're free to love our neighbors, to love one another. We're free to experience a humble, joyful, loving community. May God do it in us. Father, I pray for it. I ask it. Many of these things are fruit of the Spirit, and so we pray that you would bear that fruit in us. As we humble ourselves before you, as we come to you, As we confess our need of you, we confess our sin to you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in our hearts in this. That you would gently rebuke us yourself in our judgmental attitudes or maybe our self-righteousness, or the, uh, the arrogance that looks down on other people and is, is thinking about what they're choosing or what they're doing and when to constantly find faults. And then as, as you've led us to honor one another and to create a culture of honor, would you continue to grow that in us, please? Christ's name we pray.